Let's save the planet. My first live audience town hall in my campaign for U.S. president. Next. The presidential election in 2024 is probably the most important election in our country's history. You're looking at a Biden-Trump rematch that two-thirds of the country doesn't want. I'm Dave Gardner. I'm running for president. The billionaire class has been taking everything and leaving everybody else to fight for the scraps. You're right to talk about economic growth and restoring that American dream. Whereas domestic product has now become a fetish. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your fairy tales of eternal economic growth. We humans have outgrown our planet. Is growth really making us richer or is it making us poorer? We've got to scale back. We need people to reimagine a lifestyle which requires much less energy and material. Didn't Elon Musk actually say one of the biggest issues that we're facing is underpopulation? Let's not be afraid to talk about overpopulation because it is not about taking rights away from people. It is about giving opportunities to women, children, and future generations. All right, just waiting for our cue from CNN. (laughs) Could be a long wait. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. uh, You honor me with your presence, and it's just the perfect sized crowd. So this is uh, a town hall, and it's going to be an episode of the Dave the Planet podcast. Most of you probably heard that we had a thousand people waiting in line all day to get in, and we, we had to send them to the overflow venue. That's right. Nobody's taking me seriously. Well, I'm Dave Gardner. I am running for U.S. president, and I really want to thank Buffalo Lodge Bicycle Resort. Uh, It's an awesome venue. I want to thank the resort for letting us use this space and uh, for the great hospitality. Appreciate it. Round of applause, definitely. Just as important, I want to thank Ruth Gardner, my wife, who's back there in the back. Yeah, we're thanking her for just putting up with this whole thing, but also for putting in a lot of work to help get this uh, set up. And I want to thank Allie Richardson, a member of the campaign team, for also being a co-producer of this town hall and working hard all afternoon. And a nod to our uh, technical director over here in the corner, Hayden Gillespie. Thanks, Hayden, for being here. And we have a few other important dignitaries here. Starting with Becky Elder uh, on my far right. I just have to have to hit the highlights about Becky in case you don't already know. Manitou Springs City Councilwoman 2015 to 2020. She's a Colorado organic gardener, environmental consultant, permaculture designer and educator to the nth degree, and uh, an activist for positive change since 1979. Some of her activities included Hands Around Rocky Flats, Ancient Forest Rescue, Sanapu Wolf Recovery, Picked Plains Alliance for Food and Farmers, Green Cities Coalition, Solidarity of Hope, and Transition Town Manitou. And those are just a few highlights. Thanks for being here, Becky. Thank you. And right here next to me is Jacqueline Armendariz Unsueta, also known as Jax. And she had to do that because there's so many Jackies floating around, (laughs) aren't there? It's true, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Too many Jackies, not enough Jacks. Originally from El Paso, Texas, but decided to migrate to the United States at some point. (laughs) 
We'll talk history later, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I spent 20 years in Texas, so I know what I'm oh, talking about there. Yeah. Um, interestingly, Jax is lead plaintiff in Armendariz versus the city of Colorado Springs, represented by the ACLU of Colorado. It's the first case in the country to provide evidence that federal and local law enforcement illegally spied on Black Lives Matter activists due to their political speech. So the brave, a brave Good. soul here. You served as a Colorado U.S. Senate staffer at one point? That's right, three yep. years. Wow. I know. Uh, back when you were in Texas, you were a border town newspaper reporter. Mm -hmm. Today, she serves in the community in nonprofit management and works in public media and kind of like me, just tries to make the world a better place, right? That's right. Thank you. Over here, out in the audience, is Allie Richardson. She will be moderating audience questions tonight. She's a valued member of the campaign team. She is co-host and producer for the local Studio 809 podcast, Peak Environment. If you don't have that on your podcast list already, you should check that out for sure. She's a permaculture designer and educator also who volunteers with a, a few local organizations. And all of these help promote living more lightly on the planet. Thank you, Allie, for doing that. Absolutely. You're welcome. Thank you. And I'm going I'm to turn it over to Allie for a minute. All right. Thank you, Dave. Um, I want to go ahead and come up and thank the live audience that has joined us today. I just want to thank you all for taking the time to come out here on an evening. And um, also, I wanted to recognize that we have a uh, news media person in the audience. I don't see him right now. John Wise with the Colorado, oh, Colorado Springs Independent, the ND. Okay. <laughs> and um, and I just would like to uh, maybe go ahead and ask uh, a couple of you if uh, you'd like to share why you came tonight, what inspired you to be here to see how a bright future could be for, um, for our planet. Does anybody want to share why they're here today? I met Dave and Ruth at a dinner given by the League of Women Voters last week. And, and what is your name? Oh, Janice. Janice. Thank you for sharing. All right, and we had someone else over here that wanted to introduce himself. Yes. Um, I've known Dave probably 15 plus years. Yeah, it's been a while, longer than several marriages of mine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Frame of reference. Uh, but Dave and I served together on the uh, state chapter of the Sierra Club Executive Committee. And so we. Uh, yeah, kind of we're in the trenches of uh, what the Sierra Club was doing in Colorado. That was probably about 15 years ago, you think? Pretty close, yeah. So, And Dave and I have been friends and Ruth uh, for many years, I'd say. So, yeah. Thank you for being here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And um, was did you have something, Dave, you want to add before I go over the Q&A? Yeah, so a couple of elected officials have snuck in. Oh. Julie Ott, seated in the back. She's on... The, the School District 11 board. Bravo. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Julie. And standing back there is Mark Snyder with the Colorado House at the moment, but a, a candidate for the Colorado Senate. Great. Thanks for joining. All right, and tonight for the Q&A, I just had a, a couple of rules to go over with everyone. Um, if we have a question, um, 
for the candidate or anybody on the panel here, if you could raise your hand so I can come over to you and have the mic. Um, this is important because this evening we are going to be recording for Dave the Planet podcast, and uh, we'd like to hear you on there. We're going to get back to you, Dave Gardner, because you need to introduce yourself, don't you? Yeah. I just have a couple of minutes of uh, remarks that I've been thinking about making for a couple of days, and let's see if I can uh, communicate them articulately. You never know. I'm kind of nervous. I'm a little bit nervous because, uh, not because I never speak in public, but because I'm afraid if I don't say the right words exactly the right way, that maybe we won't Dave the planet. Maybe we will have a dead planet. I want to get it right, so I'm going to give it my best shot. So why the heck am I running for U.S. president? A lot of people, uh, many people, even good friends, have laughed when I've told them I'm doing that. Uh, so let me explain that a little bit. I'm going to start by turning it on you and ask you a question. And raise your hand. How many of you are concerned about poverty, inequality, debt, unaffordable housing, rising food prices? Yep, I think I caught just about everybody there. Okay, hands mm -hmm. down. Okay. Now, how many of you are concerned about... Uh, Fresh water supplies, uh, species extinction, the climate crisis, fertile soil depletion, what am I forgetting? Um, toxification of our air, land, and water. Just about everybody there, too. And lastly, one more time, how many are concerned about a, a loss of social trust and cohesion? Um, well said. Yeah. So these are all big problems. We're all concerned about them, and we're right to be concerned about them. And I think everybody's working on them in one way or another. Um, but you know what? We're making little or no progress, aren't we? It's really pretty disappointing, the progress. And I want to explain briefly why. The main reason that progress is so difficult on those is that these are things that happen when you've outgrown the planet. And we have, at 8 billion people and a $100 trillion global economy, we have outgrown planet Earth. We're past optimal scale. And the bigger we grow, the more problems like these we're going to have. So I have good news and bad news about that. The good news is that growth is going to come to an end. The bad news is that if we don't plan it and manage it, and we aren't, then Mother Nature is going to take care of the ending growth for us. And she is already, and it's going to be pretty brutal. And it's starting to be brutal now, but it's going to get a lot worse. So we need to decide how it's going to go. Do we want it to be planned and elegant, or do we want to fight it all the way and have it really be ugly? It's our choice. And so far, we're choosing business as usual. And business as usual means a dead planet for our kids. By continuing business as usual, uh, well, it's kind of like being on the Titanic. I know that's a really well-worn metaphor, but it really applies well here. We're on the Titanic, and we are full steam ahead toward an iceberg. And if we hit that iceberg, then civilization as we know it will come to an end. It could even mean human extinction. Seriously, it could. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of people working on these problems and doing good things, trying to restore and preserve biodiversity, working on uh, the shift to renewable energy. Uh, some people are simplifying their lives and trying to reduce overconsumption and trying to help other people discover that. Good stuff. The joy of living simply. Some people are choosing smaller families. Some people are moving to a plant-based diet. 
or toward a plant-based diet. All of these are really good things. And yet, how are we doing? What's the report card look like? We're still not making any forward progress to speak of. Certainly not nearly enough. So we're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. There are just a couple things that we need to do if we want to turn the rudder and, and not hit that iceberg, which is ending human civilization as we know it. And those things are uh, about the scale of the human enterprise. We need to have economic growth and population growth peak and begin to reverse. That's what needs to happen if we want to stop rearranging the chairs on the Titanic and actually change the course enough that we can have a bright future for our kids. Now, contracting the economy and the population. How many of you guys think that's a really tried and true successful political strategy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's not considered politically possible. And so that's why I'm pretty sure at least I'm the only one that I know of, the only candidate for any public office who is running on a platform where he's promising to start contracting the economy and contracting voluntarily and ethically the population. And those are my promises. And with each passing week, I've been watching the news and reading the scientific reports and seeing what's going on at COP28, I'm more convinced than ever that this is the only way that we can have a bright future for our kids. The only way to miss that dead planet final destination, hitting that iceberg. We're still adding nearly 80 million people to the planet every year. And we've got a $100 trillion global economy, and we're intent to keep on growing it. It's interesting that I think it could be a successful strategy because what I'm talking about doing, because it really is one of the few things that I think everybody can come together and unite about, and that is having better lives for their kids. Who doesn't want a better life for their kids? So I'm thinking this could be a cause for everyone, regardless of where they are on the political spectrum, to come together and unite in a major effort to do something about this course that we're on. It's called Overshoot. We're in Overshoot. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you about it tonight. I really look forward to getting some tough questions. So thanks for being here. All right, thank you. How about that candidate, you all? <laughs> yeah, you. All right, so now we will go ahead and begin the Q&A now. <laughs> and I would like to maybe grab a question from the news media person, if they have a question for me today. I am, I am either tired or retired. Okay. <laughs> so I am no longer representing well, you, you can, yeah, you have a question. Let me, question. Yeah, All right, and we let really me just want to honor John Weiss for co-founding the independent 30 years ago. One thing about this group here is that it's probably one of the few places I've ever been in Colorado Springs where I'm probably a moderate. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I really appreciate what lots of different people here have done and been on the fringe and taken stands that the Indian, the community could take that are now normal. I mean, everyone would drop, and I'm, I don't want to go on too long, but people would drop dead if we said gays are at every college and open and out. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling the progress that's been happened. 
But here's a question I have. Your message is really powerful for this audience. Is there a way to make your message more palatable to the community at large? And I have a possible suggestion that I just thought of, so it's not well thought through, is instead of saying, the world's coming to an end, we are doing this, say that we have no idea what's going to happen. There is a possibility technology could make it better. There's a possibility, and here's why not, that it might not make it better. But there's always a chance that might be more palatable to the community because you're not starting this. And Bill McKibben has spoken about how you frame the issue and don't go with a stark issue because it's going, you're going to turn people off before you've even, you need to have a dialogue with them. And everyone say, Technology is amazing. Who knows? We may find something that's really good. So that's my comment question. Thanks, John. Great, great question. I'm hoping that there are some ultra conservative people out there tonight. No? <laughs> Shoot. Maybe. Maybe they're in the overflow venue with the other uh, 999. So here's the deal. Bill McKibben, you brought up. Bill McKibben co-founded 350.org. He's been working for a long time on the climate issue and other environmental issues. He's written some really good books. I interviewed him for the Growthbusters documentary. I admire him. I have a lot of respect for him. But let me ask you, he's been working on this, these kind of issues for how many years? 40 years. Yeah. How's, how's his progress? There's all these organizations out there that are busy kind of tweaking their message, trying to come up with something that's not gloom and doom, try to come up with something that maybe will uh, be a bigger tent way to talk about the issues. And that seems like it makes sense. But how's it going? You know, I think we're running out of time. And because uh, I am such a long shot that I could be elected president, it gave me the freedom to say to myself, uh, you know what, I don't need to moderate my message to appeal to some certain voter block or uh, donor donor block. I, I am free to tell the full truth. Now, John, this may this may turn out to be a really losing strategy, but no one else has really tried this strategy, and we've never been this close to the iceberg before. So that's my thinking, John. So just a quick comment. Dave ran an amazing race for city council. Um, it was a race that no one supported him, and it's one of the reasons we started together for Colorado Springs, so there, in which we then faded again but the idea is to provide the support and ongoing information so people can run but he got well over 40 percent of the vote being outspent 10 to 1 and he was probably his message was gross bus is it was the same message his message has not changed He's a record, a repeat record, but in a good way. You know what I mean? But it's a message. But one of the questions, which is, how has your message worked? And we, we can take this offline, but the doom and gloom hasn't done it. And I'm, I'm actually both. I'm doom and gloom. Lots of people are both. Yeah, uh, thanks for that, John. Real quick, 
real quick response to that, I don't think I was doom and gloom back then. I was busy trying to be a little bit more big tent, but it probably did come off. Maybe it, that was the impression you got was that it was doom and gloom. I, I think I'm finally being a lot more honest than I was in 2009 when I ran for city council. My yard sign said, real community, true prosperity. I was really trying to focus on the joy of getting over our growth addiction. And that really does need to be a part of the messaging of this campaign is if we can we can leave the rat race behind, it looks like it might be hard work for us to scale back our economy to uh, earn less money and spend less money and simplify our lives. But boy, you step off that treadmill, get out of the, the rat race, and you discover the true joys in life. And we will be talking about that a lot. Well said. Well said. Thank you, Dave. All right. So I will be moving on now to um, just an audience question. And I think it was a hand over here. Tori, is that you? Okay. All right. Well, I still think your message, Dave, the planet is saying we can save the planet. It, it is optimism. It's saying we can save it. So the future, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Tori. A good point. Is it time for to come up here or not um, yet? Yep. We could go ahead. And uh, Becky, the next question um, you get to ask for a candidate. Okay. Well, Dave, you've been talking about the future. And one of the things that is really holding us back in making progress is energy. We are so energy addicted, more and more energy, whether it's the energy or the money that is created with the production of energy. So how would you, what would be the first things you would do to start powering down? Because powering down our use, our energy use is a critical step. Wow, great question. Thanks for that. Because I mentioned contracting the economy and contracting the population, and I failed to mention the third leg of my uh, my platform, which is to put our country on an energy diet. Energy really is the currency of life. It is, it is the key thing. And uh, to kind of circle around that a little bit, I want to mention that I used to be a really big uh, fan of a technology, uh, renewable energy. I thought, man, the faster we can embrace solar and wind and stop burning coal and oil, the better. That is a huge part of getting over our addiction to growth. Uh, and then I discovered, dang, renewable energy isn't the panacea that we all thought it was. If we were to manufacture the infrastructure to convert this $100 trillion overshoot economy over to renewable energy, we would have to burn so much fossil fuels to do that manufacturing, climate would right. be done. It would be game right. over right there. Right. Yeah. And uh, what was uh, directly the question that I haven't well, answered? Some of the first few things you would direct to power down or okay. at least to help people understand powering down because it's and you're right it does take a lot of energy to for everyone to drive an electric car can you imagine how much energy will happen for everybody to have one not to mention that's just something i brought up but yeah you know going passive is very doable and using natural building is very doable uh, we just don't support that as much as we do the fossil fuel industry yeah. Today, when people wake up, they do not, the first thought on their mind is, what, what am I doing to uh, either waste energy or conserve energy? They mostly go through their day not really thinking about it. Now, maybe <laughs> many of you, I hope, are in a different boat. I know I am. I mean, I never stop. Everything I do, I think about that. 
But most people in the United States, it's not front of mind. So my national project to get out of overshoot, a big part of that will be a, a huge communication campaign to put these things front of mind. How many of you have ever heard, uh, only you can prevent forest fires? How many of you have ever heard, uh, buckle up for safety? Okay. How many of you ever heard, turn the damn lights out? <laughs> we haven't heard that one yet. Well, we need a better phrase. <laughs> So you know we would you know we would engage the creative community, the ad agencies, just like those big ad council campaigns of sure. the past. Uh, just say no to drugs. We need to do that version, but the Dave the Planet version to to get everybody front of mind on thinking about not just using less energy but consuming less materials as well. There would be some things that uh, I wouldn't have to wait to inspire the public to do, like grounding Air Force One. You know, if we really are in a climate emergency, I don't think that the president needs to be flying across the country to shake hands and congratulate people down south of Pueblo at a great wind farm facility. That's great to celebrate that, but I don't know how much the jet fuel that the took. Yeah, uh, I'd like right. to know. And That's how much right. money the country spent on that, and the carbon footprint of, of that, and the carbon footprint of seven, what is it, seventy thousand people flying to Dubai for COP twenty eight. If it's really an emergency, we've got to cut that out. And I would, I would basically ground federal employees. Flying would be the last resort. You know, awesome. we all got used to Zoom during COVID, and we've sort of had enough of it. But you know what? If we're in the middle of a climate crisis, right. maybe we can put up with Zoom a little bit more. Thank you. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. We learned to, that things were possible when the pandemic happened, that we could do things from home or Skype, you know, the same type of thing. We didn't have to travel to get there. Thanks, Dave. All right. Uh, the next question, we're going to um, bring it to the next panelist. That would be Jax. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Dave, what I appreciate about your campaign is I hear, you know, we're trying to, to shift a paradigm, shift thought, shift a mindset. Mm -hmm. Can very much appreciate that. Um, and yet, I would really like to hear from you what's tough to reconcile, right? Work less, earn less. I can, we can appreciate work less. <laughs> the earn less is tough. A lot of people already feel like they're earning less than they need, right? Um, wages haven't kept up with costs. Um, speaking for myself as a, a self-proclaimed um, elder millennial, you know, a lot of us feel that we'll never be able to uh, afford a home, which um, mm -hmm. that's a, an, a really important example of the generational inequality that has happened economically. So would really appreciate hearing from you how you can reconcile your plans uh, as you run for president with this very stark reality that young people are facing and, and people in general with the housing crisis. Wow, I really wasn't expecting that tough question. So I wasn't prepared. <laughs> Thank you for that question. Happy yeah, to do it, that's a big Thanks. question because that's a it big is. part of my campaign. Everybody wants to have a four-day work week or even a three-day work week, but no one's talking about taking a pay cut to do that. Although a few people, some noble people are doing that, but most people want to try to find ways to be just as productive. And it sounds good being productive, but... Because we're in overshoot and we've got to cut back on our consumption and we have to contract our economy, we have to find ways for us to, uh, we have to spend less money because when you spend your money, that is how you do most of your consuming. If you're making enough money to 
fly halfway across the country to go see a rock concert. It's too easy if you have the money to do that. If you're making enough money, maybe you've got a, a condo in Florida. You know, maybe you've got a, two vacation houses if you make enough money. That sounds great. You know, most of my adult life, if I, th- I thought if I was ever going to be so successful in my career that I could fly a private jet, you'd bet I would have done it. Well, you know what? Private jets, mega yachts, that's the stuff that's killing the planet. Uh, Boo, Jeff we, Bezos. Sorry, yeah, I just yeah. had to throw that in there. Sorry, okay, not yeah. sorry. But I got to circle back to the important thing. But what about the working class? What about the people who are struggling to make ends right. meet? It is going to be a lot more challenging. So we're. it's going to be a major part of our national project is to really up our game and figure out ways to, to come together and support one another so all of us can find ways to earn less money unless we're already... You know, I mean, if you're, you know, if you're making minimum wage, we're probably not going to try to push you to earn less money. But for the most part, everyone who can, we're going to encourage you to uh, share your job, work half time if you can. Uh, And if that's going to be challenging, uh, we're going to support you. We're going to have grants and do everything we can to support community hubs, a lot like transition towns that you worked with, Becky. Right. And what I wanted to say, you know, when you stop working five days and go down to three, all of a sudden you have time to apply to your own home systems and maybe grow some food, maybe help the senior who lives next door, you know, who maybe they have a fruit tree and you can help them with that. And, you know, if, if, we had, if you had two days to do what you wanted to do to help your life be better, what would you do? Maybe you would I mean, how many of you guys have a food? project that you would yeah. do? Oh, good. We have a few. <laughs> I tell you, I could have every limb in the air. There's so many projects that I want to do. But it actually, working less gives you your life back to where you can revert to being the, the spirit that you are within. Yeah, I've been working way too hard since I started this campaign. And I discover, you know what, I've actually been in the drive through at some fast food places because <laughs> I've been in such a hurry. <laughs> If you slow down, if you work less, you have time to prepare good meals. That's you right. have time to uh, to shop more carefully so that you can you can afford good quality food. If we have these community hubs, not every family on the block needs their own snowblower or their own chainsaw That's or right. their own lawnmower. Uh, you can we can have tool sharing. We can have skill sharing. We can begin to demonetize the economy so that a lot less of what you need requires you to write a check or run a charge card. Right, you're demonetizing it, but you're actually building a parallel economy. Yeah. So it's like, I don't have to go make money to buy food because Jax is growing all the food I need. You know, whatever. Yeah. Just as an example. Yeah, so, and, because we're, and because we're going to go on this energy diet, we're going to tax fossil fuels. We are, because we, we need that signal. We need that price signal to tell us, man, if you're burning a lot of fossil fuels, right. you are stomping on the future of your children. So we want to make it painful to do that. And we want it to be a reminder every time, if you have to go fill up something with gas, we want it to remind us so that it starts to change our behavior. It makes it so families will be a lot less likely to buy a house 30 miles away from the city center in order to get a cheap house and then, you know, and then commute 30 miles 60-mile round trip or more every day. You do that because gas is artificially cheap right now. And you know what? You're getting a subsidy from your kids. 
they're going to pay for it with a dead planet, or maybe if they're lucky, maybe it'll just be a Mad Max future. But it won't be a bright future. So those are a couple of things. But uh, that's not enough, Jax. It's not enough. And uh, Keep going, Dave. Okay. We're going to use some of that tax revenue to support uh, public transportation, active transportation. We'll uh, subsidize your purchase of a bicycle if that's what it takes. The bus system, the rail system, they will get more support. It'll take a little bit of time, but it'll be a lot easier for a family to have no cars or fewer cars. Right. So many families today have three cars. And that, you know, and at least they ought to be able to give up one. And it is really expensive to have an automobile when you think about it. The annual cost of upkeep, insurance. Uh, car loans, insurance, all that. So you would save some money. You can really start minimizing some of those expenses. I'm going to appoint a presidential council to work on this because I don't have all the answers yet. But I, but you know what? The presidential councils today, <laughs> with the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. They're not working on that. Mm-mm. That's foreign to them. Those people are going to leave, and we're going to bring in some really smart people who are thinking about these things, and we're going to figure out a way to do it. And I'm going to give you a sneak preview of it. We're going to do a few webinars starting in January, and I'm going to convene some of the leading experts, and we're going to start developing a national strategy to address some of these. And top of my list is how do we contract the economy? How do we work less? And yet everybody has their needs met. Sounds complicated, Dave. (laughs) Um, But it seems like we have a little bit more time left on this one, if I may. And um, I can I can appreciate uh, the sentiments expressed there. And I think you touched on it um, a bit. And I'd like to hear more, if I may, about um, super set super sexy topic, especially for the presidential, which is taxes, right? Um, You definitely touched on them, but in kind of the context of my question, you know, we, part of the public discourse recently has been tax the rich, tax people at a fair rate, right? So how does that work with uh, an economy that's shrinking? That seems complicated too. Maybe being president is complicated. I I don't know. Well, a lot of this is complicated because no one's ever tried to do this before that I know of. There are a few countries that are leading the way a little bit and starting to embrace degrowth and donut e- economics. And if you want to learn a little bit more about some of those case studies, uh, shoot me an email or follow up with me after the town hall. We'll be glad to turn you on to those. The rich, because we're going to declare this national emergency and we're going to make sure everyone in the country understands that we're in overshoot and that our kids' future is at stake, if I'm elected, we will have pulled off a miracle because it means that we will have gotten the word out to a lot of people and the people of the United States will have said, yes, we're concerned, we're tired of business as usual, you know, we want a disruptor, but we don't want a disruptor who's a, a criminal real estate developer from New York. <laughs> We want a disruptor who cares about our kids and their future. And uh, my hope is that I can reach out to some of the ultra-wealthy people, people like Jeff Bezos, uh, people like, uh, oh, who's the great film director? Steven Spielberg, who apparently has got a mega yacht being built for him right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I want to appeal to these people and say, listen, we need to shift the paradigm. Will you please help? Will you please voluntarily stop your overconsumption, and start supporting what we're trying to do. Some of them will, some of them may, 
many of them won't. If they don't, then we will. We will find ways to make it very expensive to live that ultra-high-consuming lifestyle. It's not that challenging because the tax rate on the uh, on the super-rich has been a lot higher in the past than it is oh, today. Yes. We've done it before. Uh, what's different today is that business and the mega-rich have taken over our country, and so they, they're in control. Uh, now, I'm going to need congressional help for some of this. But you know what? If we've elected Dave Gardner, I think the members of Congress are going to have to, they're going to take note. They're going to say, whoa, well, now I know what the public wants. <laughs> they don't want this shit I've been shoveling. And we'll, uh, we'll get more cooperation. But it's, you know, it is a, uh, it's a reach. I grant you that. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And that's right. I think it, most people are now realizing that we are not living the American dream and it has to be changed. And um, the next question will actually be from me. And you've answered quite a bit of it with uh, how you would react to people um, to discourage wasteful and fr frivolous um, consumption, um, you would tax them. But um, when you're talking about getting us out of ecological overshoot, um, I think it's our responsibility, or at least we see that, that we're responsible for our waste uh, to dispose of it safely and regeneratively. But when it comes to the manufacturer's accountability for the products that they're giving us, um, they're not really providing a good, you know, it, it's not... Uh, it's not reciprocated as we need to be being responsible of where our waste goes. Uh, currently, we have like over 2,600 landfills in our country. And uh, the idea of just landfilling um, is pretty disturbing because, uh, you know, only 10% of our plastic gets recycled. The rest of it winds up in our landfills. And when, when there's rain and there's water, most of it gets washed out broken into pieces and it disrupts the ecosystems in the rivers and out to the ocean. We all know that's pretty bad. There's not one garbage patch, there's many. So what I really want to ask you is how would you hold those manufacturers accountable to change their ways of being dependent on fossil fuels? And I know plastics are important in you know medical fields and certain other applications, but how would you get the single-use plastics away? A couple of things. Thanks for that question. Uh, one is, of course, when we're taxing the hilt out of fossil fuels, that will change some behavior. <laughs> we won't even have to think too hard about all those things that use fossil fuels. They're going to do the thinking. They're going to look at the balance sheet and the profit and loss statement, and they're going to say, well, we're going to have to change our ways. Uh, two, we have a lot more agency as uh, – I don't want to use the word. Uh, I'm going to use it just because you know it and you've heard it – consumers. I hate – being, that we refer to ourselves as consumers. We're not. We're human beings. In fact, everybody raise your hand and repeat after me if you believe this. I am not a consumer. I am, I am not, not a, consumer. a consumer. I'm a human being. I'm, I'm a, a human, human being. being. You know? Uh, we have a lot of agency. You know, if they don't have the customers buying the products, they will change their ways. A lot of people don't want you to believe that. They want you to believe that you can sit around waiting for somebody to figure out a way to get the companies to change their ways. And we need to be trying hard to get the companies to change their ways. But at the same time, we have a lot of agency and we can vote with our pocketbooks and, and we can change their ways. What I'm talking about is, a, like you said it really well, a paradigm shift. It's a, a tremendous paradigm shift and I haven't done it. I've been working on it, but I've just been doing the easy stuff. You know, I've got these bad habits and it's hard 
to give some of them up. So I'm, I'm doing the easy stuff so far. Most people aren't even doing the easy stuff. The other day, it was trash day, and so I had this big trash bin that I had to roll out to the curb, and I just felt so silly because it just had this one little bag of trash in it. Um, but how many families have that? Not, not enough. And it's because it's not front of mind. We don't talk about it. With my national project, every day you're going to wake up and you're going to get a report. How are we doing? It would be just like when we entered World War II and everybody came together. And we retooled our factories and people planted victory gardens and they, and they rationed various foods. Uh, they all came together because they knew it was a good cause. That's the level of emergency uh, we're in, and that's the level of response that's warranted. And no one, no candidate out there is telling you that. Sorry, it might feel like gloom and doom, but, um, but it, will be, it will end up being fun, and we'll all discover that it's a whole lot more fun getting out of the rat race and rolling up our sleeves and working with our neighbors to, to reinvent the economy, to come up with the real healthy 21st century economy. I hope that at least partially answers that question. Yes, you said what most leaders ignore that needs to be upfront and people need to be aware where their trash is going when it's being drove away. Yeah, where you it's know, heading. we need to fix our recycling system, but I want to tell you recycling, most people think that's the first thing they think of yeah. if, if they're living the green life. It, that's the easy stuff. If you don't recycle I mean, how much easier could it be? It's really easy, and we don't do that. But we can't, we, the system isn't working. I think if we all recycled more and paid more attention to it, uh, we could get the system running so that at least that small part of uh, the bright future would start to work. Yeah, I think we need to nix the plastic at oh, the absolutely. bud yeah. so that we don't have to recycle. And then our recycling magically becomes composting. Which is goes back into your. I just love what you're saying. I'm sitting here just wrapped in what you're saying, and you know the, the trash issue, if I may, goes back to the neighborhood and the community. Why does everybody need their own dang trash can and their own recycle bin when you just and we just have the one bag? So we've been do this, Mark. We <laughs> we haven't paid for trash services for years since wow. Manitou did. I probably will have to starting tomorrow, but anyway, <laughs> because, you know, we just share it with our friends, our neighborhood. It's like, you know, it's like you want to split the cost, and that's great. So keep going, Dave. One member of our campaign team, Ellie, you know Josh Spodek. He is the host of a great podcast called This Sustainable Life. He lives in the middle of Manhattan, and it takes him about a year to come up with a bag of trash. I mean, wow, wow, this wow. guy is a superhero. He walks up several flights of stairs every day to put out some solar panels and charge a battery because he disconnected from the electric grid. He is a, a, a champion, and, and he is enjoying the heck out of it. He hasn't gotten on an airplane in three or four years. He'll be a cabinet member or at least an ad advisor in my administration, <laughs> and I think I might put him in charge of the joy, the, helping people come, get in touch with the joy of living more simply. I think that will snowball. I think people will just, more and more people will jump in. I know people who feel trapped in, in what they do and having no time and somebody else is raising their kids. And so I think that will just snowball. And there was something else I was going to say and I yeah. lost it. But I will, oh no, I remember. In the same, I mean, I can see all this fitting together. And in the communities, 
you have two extra days where you're not working, which is a beautiful idea. And you could have your own neighborhood WPA or CCC if you need a problem fixed in your neighborhood or for your senior citizen, whoever. You have a group of people, well, I'm not working on Thursday. Let's get this done. And people, there's so much joy in return and doing something for someone else. Mm. And it actually gives us the opportunity for that because we don't always get that opportunity because we're held on the track and we're kept super busy. Yeah. That's I just love the way this is going exactly the way I hope. Oh, so thanks for the <laughs> oh, conversation. <laughs> and that reminded me of one other thing, Jackson, important mm. thing. I have never been a fan of this idea of universal basic income. Mm -hmm. But I, as I've been thinking about our strategy and how we're going to do this, I'm starting to think that maybe some kind of universal basic income would be would need to be a part of this future for us. I can appreciate that. I think we're okay on time. Are we good? Are we up? Okay, awesome. And I, I think um, what I would add there, you know, I really appreciate the the touching on the community building about what what this um, paradigm shift uh, could look like. And I think that appeals uh, generationally. But I think um, UBC, Universal Basic Income, or UBI, um, that is important because I think what would speak to communities like mine is understanding when we talk about making these lifestyle changes, honestly, right now, that sounds like a lot of money. And again, the, the inequality of things. And I'll put a placeholder there. Another um, thing that's percolating as we as we get into our flow here is I, I truly appreciate the the shift in not being consumers. I think that's also mm -hmm. meaningful uh, generationally. And so just talking about that a, a little bit further, I think there's important context that we could call this the spoiler question. We're in an incredibly um, pivotal time in our democracy. There is a persistent danger that people are feeling. We so are. yeah, <laughs> who knew? Yeah. Um, so that's my part B question, and I'll, I'll pause it there. Is um, we talked a little bit about the income and inequality again, what that means, and then the precarious time we're in, and what it means if someone thinks you might be a spoiler. Okay, great. We had we had to address that question. Uh, the the truth is that uh, we would have. I th I know for a fact we would have a groundswell, a much bigger groundswell of donations and volunteers coming to this campaign if people weren't so worried about the possibility that we would reelect. Uh, What's his name? The guy who's been out of office for three years. Yeah, they're years. calling him he who shall not be named. <laughs> or, right. or Voldemort. The, the orange. Uh, <laughs> the orange menace. Yeah. We could go on all night, right? <laughs> you know, most people, a lot of people are pretty desperate to make sure that we don't go into that yes. chaos. And uh, if we elect Donald Trump, that would be all ahead full straight toward the iceberg. No care whatsoever about the future of our children. And so some people worry that uh, that uh, other candidates who have who seem to be a little progressive, and I, I'd like to, to think that even conservatives want their kids to have a bright future. So I'm hoping to appeal to some of them. But uh, but most people think that I would be taking votes from the Democratic candidate, which who looks like it may be Joe, Joe Biden. And I don't want to do that. I don't want a dead planet. 
And if you don't elect me, probably we're going to get the dead planet. Sorry. But I also can't bring myself to speed us to the dead planet with no integrity. (laughs) We at least have to have a future of integrity. And so unless we uh, witness an explosion of this campaign, and I'm here to ask you to help me do that, unless this really takes off and we astonish the world, uh, at some point before next November, I may see the need to drop out of the race in order to make sure I'm not taking votes from the Democratic candidate. If there's if it looks like there's a danger that that would throw the race to uh, really to the any Republican candidate, because I, I used to be a registered Republican, but Republicans, the Republican Party today is throwing our kids under the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, corporate profits are more important to them than a, a healthy planet for their kids. So so I will do that if I if I have to. But I'm doing this Hail Mary because I'm, I'm convinced that we really can't wait four years or eight years for somebody maybe better looking than me, maybe younger than me, maybe less male than me with the same platform to come around to Dave the planet. You know, I think we need to Dave the planet now. So let's let's astonish the world if we can. Thank that was you. a great answer that. to my question, you all, okay. <laughs> and the continued question. All right, I'm going to jump into the audience now, and I do remember one um, one um, lady over here. You you have your question ready for me, and this will have to be the last one too. Okay, just wanted to know where you stood on the women's rights. I didn't see it on the issues on your on the website. Okay, great, great question. It could be that that's an area we need to beef up on the website. I have tremendous respect for women. I believe that we would, the world would be in so much better shape if the women had been in charge for a long time. We need more women in charge. Uh, there are plenty of smart women, uh, eminently qualified uh, for cabinet positions and positions as advisors in my administration. So uh, it's not going to be the all-boys club. But as far as women's rights and more generally, I do not believe that uh, a bunch of men should be making decisions about women's bodies. I think women are entitled to, uh, you know, women's lib. We had women's lib before you were born. That <laughs> that whole movement was happening. And a lot of people thought, mission accomplished. Era now. Jeez, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, we just sort of paused, you know, and congratulated ourselves and mm-hmm. thought and thought we were done with it. And boy, it really looks like some people are really trying to roll that back. Uh, and I scary. am firmly opposed to that. Women's bodies should not be used to uh, as incubators for taxpayers, consumers, uh, or uh, voters. Future workforce. <laughs> yes. Yeah, workers. And that's a lot of what's going on now. Uh, is that uh, there's a lot of hand-wringing over the, the fact that women have been choosing to have smaller families. Why? I think a lot of it's because they've been discovering there are plenty of cool ways to have a meaningful life besides raising a family of, uh, of kids, especially besides raising four, five, six, or eight. Right. Well, yeah. and I would add that I think uh, I'll speak for myself and my colleagues, my peers in my generation with a looming climate crisis. It's hard to feel ethically or morally OK with having a child. Sure. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. well said. So I really support around the world, our country in, in the aid department, our country would uh, beef up our support for women's education and for women's rights. There are still some patriarchal cultures that uh, uh, we need to do what we can to uh, somehow find a way to get help them 
help those women shift the culture where they are that they want to shift. They want to get out from under the thumb of women, of men. Women everywhere need to be out from under the thumb of men. Men, we've, we've blown it. And we can do okay, better. round of applause. Way to close it, Dave. And we have someone who wants to add something to that, Ruth. As the future first lady, I just... <laughs> Bravo, yes. Dave usually does a little bit better answer on this because, okay, being a lifelong Catholic, and I personally believe that life begins a lot earlier, but that's my personal belief. But as Dave has said in other places, you know... Nobody wants to get an abortion. Nobody wants to do that. So if we spent more on education, providing birth control, providing the education, women can still make the choice if they want to have no kids, four kids, ten kids, but they will be educated and they will know what consequences come with that. But if they want birth control and not to have an unwanted pregnancy, that there are a lot of resources there to help them out. So anyway, we, we have debates about this, and you usually put a little bit more in there that you would prefer to have education so there is no need right. for an abortion. Well, free contraception in the United access States yes. around access, the world. That's yeah. been one of his things that he would do. Yeah. If so you want anyway, less abortion, just <laughs> why aren't you doing that? That's an easy, yeah. that's the easy answer so to that. So ideally, it would just be to prevent any need for anyone to have an abortion. So anyway, that's my two cents. So, All right. I don't know whether, I know the bar closes at 8. You might be able to grab a drink oh, real yeah. quick. <laughs> or maybe Tori can make, keep the bar open, maybe a little longer. But we're kind of under the gun to try to wrap up by 8. Did you have something you wanted yeah, to say, Yeah, absolutely. Ali? I was just going to say, you empower women. They're going to make a better choice. And in the, that's that was what happened to me and what's happening to many other women who are having access to these um, important topics like sexual education and younger age too. Um, yeah, so we're going to run out. So I'd just like to give each panelist a, a quick minute for closing statement. Um, and I'll start. Uh, Becky and I, as Dave had mentioned, are permaculture educators in the community. And we think in whole systems to evaluate how natural systems work in each one of our environments and how we can live in a more sustainable way for the environment. We are interconnected. We are not different. We are not apart or we're not above um, the other animals in the system we are working with them and right now we are working against them and our planet needs Dave Gardner elected for our own sake and for our children's sake um, and if you support this message please consider donating to the campaign and if you didn't get a question asked tonight I would like for you to turn the paper over on the tables and that'll give you an opportunity to ask a question that maybe didn't get addressed here and we will do our best when we upload the podcast to answer those questions for you. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to end my little statement here with um, a quote by Gary Ferguson, who is an author. He says, it's a powerful thought to imagine what it would look like to live in a world where families, workplaces, cities, and nations were more fully aligned with the idea of living efficiently, taking only what we need. Thank you. And I'll pass it over to you now, Becky. That was great. I didn't prepare a statement, but I can say that I'm really, thank you for having me here, and I totally support what Dave's doing. 
it's like starting the conversation. Like you say, no one's talking about this, and these are the real questions. You know, how are we going to deal with the energy? How are we going to do with food insecurity? How are we going to deal with bad water? How are we going to deal with not enough because we're taking all of our enough and handing it off to corporations? So if you take any of these and follow them through, you can see, like, just having fewer children, you follow that out 20 years, and there's more of everything we have because each one of us is a consu consuming things. We're not a consumer. But does that make sense? So you take any of these things and follow them out. We need more trees. What would happen if we planted more trees? We all know what would happen. Um, but we're not planting enough, y'all. So anyway, uh, yeah, Dave the planet, I'm just so glad that the conversation has started. Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure to be here tonight. Just uh, thank you, Dave, and Dave the Planet's campaign um, and Buffalo Lodge. You could have been anywhere on a Monday night. So bravo to this audience. Give yourself a round of applause. And um, I'll simply say that I, I truly appreciate this is a thing of beauty to me. It is democracy in action because what this is a town hall and what this is about is making sure that we the people are having a discourse around a very challenging 2024 cycle. And so while I politely can't offer any personal or political endorsements, um, it was truly my pleasure to be here. And I look forward to seeing all of you in community and would love to chat with any one of you um, as we go forward into 2024 and stay politically active. Thanks, Dave. Thank it means a lot to me that you came, Jax, and uh, it means a lot to have you up here, Becky, uh, and uh, a lot to me that, that you all came out for this. Buffalo Lodge is a really great place. Uh, there's something going on here almost every night and many mornings. This is community. And in many ways, it's sort of a, uh, a little bit of a case study of how we can have some community hubs where people come together and, and work on making life better. Uh, I feel like everything that I wanted to say as I wrapped up has been said, and I need to keep it short anyway. But I'll just say, you know, imagine a future for your kids that doesn't look, how many of you have seen some of the Mad Max movies? Hopefully oh, most God. of you have. I mean, imagine a future for your kids that doesn't look like that, or a future where they're not having to scrap for water, uh, where they're not wondering where their food's going to come from, or what their food might be made of, uh, where they're not worried about the quality of their water or the, or the quantity of their water, where they have opportunities for education and, and, uh, and civic life, and they're living on a healthy, planet and not worried about the future we can give that to them i mean we're acting as though it's just a default that we can't well it is in our control but it will require this huge paradigm shift i mean that's what it's going to take the rat race has no winners so please join me and let's astonish this country and let's change the world <laughs> <laughs>